you know, from those early days and realizing what you can do with data, something really stuck with me that I heard in a meeting was there's no such thing as the average customer. And I always live by that today. And whether you hear somebody say, well, the average customer looks like this or does that behave like this. Well, you can do better than that with data, right? You can be more segmented and when you're analyzing as well. So I live by that today and I tell my teams to try and do that as best as possible. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening to and watching the one-to-one consumer marketing podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Jordan Womack, CRM director at Quest Diagnostics, a healthcare company that uses diagnostic insights to improve health outcomes. Jordan, thanks so much for joining the podcast. Hi, Ben. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm looking forward to our conversation. You know, before we dig into all things kind of retention and consumer marketing, can you give our audience a little background on yourself and how you ended up at your current role? Absolutely. So I'm a seasoned CRM guy with a background in loyalty and retention all the way back, starting over 20 years ago with uh, Tesco Club Card back in the UK. So they are quite a pioneering back then and still today loyalty program, and they really use owned data really well. It really made me realize from a very early age the power of data and what you can do with it to you know be hyper-targeted and, and relevant to your customers. And from that rich basket data, whether it was in-store or e-commerce, you know, they could tell if somebody had recently moved house and lost a job, had a pet or had a child. And, you know, we could use those in clever ways and fun ways, frankly, to give the better experience to customers. And I always remember one example where, you know, we, we saw a trend in when people start buying things like diapers and, you know, baby products that they also start buying more kind of beers, wine and spirits, you know, because they no longer go to the pub as much. So you know, to make their life a little better, you know, we always used that every little helps. We gave them more discounts on those products to really reward that loyalty. So, you know, from those early days and realizing what you can do with data, something really stuck with me that I heard in a meeting was there's no such thing as the average customer. And I always live by that today. And whether you hear somebody say, well, the average customer looks like this or does that behave like this? Well, you can do better than that with data, right? You can be more segmented. And when you're analyzing as well. So I live by that today and I tell my teams to try and do that as best as possible. From there, grocery retail, I went to Telefonica 02 and I was proactively looking at how we retained our mobile phone users in the UK. And we had a lot of fun with that. It's, it's really kind of a satisfying job to go out there before somebody's even perhaps shown a signal that they may be about to, to leave, but proactively building on that loyalty while, you know, keep the pressure on the, the pedal to the metal and keep them happy. We had a lot of success with mobile and channels, of course, but also even direct mail to surprising people, surprise and delight strategies. It was a great time. And then I've been in the US now for maybe 11 years. I've worked on a lot of digital transformation. So going into some of the older companies where they want to enter the direct to consumer channels, and then really teaching them how to do that and how to be customer focused and customer centric with CRM expertise. So that's been kind of very rewarding in being able to help big companies change mindset and their approach. And somewhere in the middle as well, I worked at Samsung Electronics, so not an old company by any means, but again, lots of data, lots of channels uh, to use at, at Samsung. So yeah, you know, most recently at Quest Diagnostics, where um, we've been trying to shift the mindset and approach to healthcare. Yeah, thank you so much for that overview. As like your example, I can say from experience with a one-year-old son that the at-home alcohol consumption definitely increased a little bit. I do not go to the bar as often as I used to. So I would I would be in that cohort for sure. I do want to come back to one thing you said 
that I love, which is that like more than your average customer, right? Like looking beyond, I guess, the normal distribution to like, what are the interesting cohorts that you can glean from all the data that you have? Can you talk a little bit more about that? Like, how is that defined how you think about retention and loyalty marketing? Yeah, well, you know, I think your marketable population is big. Not everybody is the same. Not everybody looks the same. And there's many ways to kind of dig into the data to find those nuances to see how they behave different, right? That might be from your typical segments that you have. So, you know, for example, at Tesco, we knew people who preferred their approach to using fresh ingredients versus those who used ready meals. So from that, you can tell maybe somebody you know, I get the assumption it was somebody either healthy or not healthy, but maybe somebody just more time poor, right? So mm-hmm. they may have a high, you know, pressure job of working a lot of hours and the ready meals is part of their lifestyle that they have to do to fit in, but maybe their behavior at a weekend is different, right? So looking for those kind of signals and that's just all from what people are buying food wise, right? But also using third party data. I'm a big believer in zero and first party data. I'm sure while we're talking here it's not going to be the first time i say that but you know it's always more accurate than party data right but still there is some usefulness in third party data for example home movie data that can tell you signals and what people are looking for in that six month period after they moved home is very different to what they're looking for you know in their, their regular life yeah, an interesting way to supplement like the wealth of zero and first party data you have, right? So not a great way to probably build your segments, exactly. but a good way to then use that to your advantage to tailor exactly. messaging for yeah. them. I mean, I'm sure you were sitting on an incredible wealth of data with Tesco and just like the, the volume of transactional data that you have. I guess it's a little bit like almost like search, right? Search is appearing into people's lives. I think the uh-huh. groceries that people buy is a good way to yeah. appear into people's lives as well. Absolutely. You also said that in your move to the US, you are now looking, you know, you've been involved in a lot of digital transformations that shift to direct to consumer. I think that probably tells a little bit about how you feel like the state of consumer marketing is today. But can you talk about that shift and kind of how you see the landscape? Yeah, I think all, you know, all companies are realizing that, you know, I mean, it's the internet has been around for many years now, but still, there are still some companies who are not doing it well right now or could be doing it better, right? It's more than just we have a website, right? That's just, you know, the start of things. And, you know, the technology is moving so fast, you know, optimizing all, all of that constantly. So I think even down to what I've seen with some of these older companies is, especially when the post-purchase communications, they perhaps haven't been the most slick or thinking of customer first, right? They've just been an action happens. So we have to send an email. And I've seen some of these companies where somebody may have made a purchase and then you know, there's six emails in the inbox within 10 minutes and really not providing that much useful information. You know, it's almost Mm -hmm. sending too much as bad as not sending anything at all. So really streamlining things, thinking about the, and you don't need mountains of data to do this. Just put yourself in the customer shoes. You know, we've heard that many times and thinking about, well, what did this inbox look like and what's the most important message to communicate? So using the technology to streamline really thinking about that customer journey and what's the most important thing you need to say right now and what's the next most important thing you need to say and and when. Yeah, so I assume over the course of doing this with quite a few, you have some sort of playbook, but you tailor it to different organizations and they're like always looking back to the customer. How do you, what's your kind of philosophy behind that? How do you tackle that? Yeah, I mean, honestly, there's no kind of hard copy of a playbook. It's just about... You know, working with the research teams and honestly, what I find, especially with some of the older organizations and, and there are new ways now, obviously with social listening, but 
getting in the call center, the customer service center, and listening to what people are saying is just still for me one of the most insightful things you can do as a marketer. Really listening mm-hmm. to the customer. And, you know, we can wade through, you know, 60 pages of analytics and research study, but just listening to what they're saying and what they're calling about and looking at the data to see what, what's driving from those core dispositions, what's driving the calls. And then having the chance to just, you know, that two-way dialogue, deep in a bit further while you have them on the phone to understand. And that's really how you would build out. We cross-functionally, of course, with other, everybody from the e-commerce team to the research team to the delivery team, right? Uh-huh. Sitting down and thinking, let's piece this. We can just call it like a value chain review, customer value chain, piecing it all together step-by-step step to understand that journey. Yeah, I find it amazing how much sometimes companies invest in things like social listening, like passive listening without taking the wealth of data that they have, where people are actually trying to talk directly to the brand anyway. Like, why not start there rather than trying to go directly into social? I know they have obviously different uses for different types of data, but I think that's an interesting one to see how brands deal with that. You mentioned zero and first party data as well. So I have to ask, is that something that you saw a big shift in like during the digital transformation with these companies? Was there more of a focus on how to deploy that data in retention and lifecycle marketing? Yeah, I mean, everywhere, just ever since those early days, I've just really understood the value of, of zero on first-party data. And I think some companies have done it better than others, but even down to the basics, right? Just basic demographics of age, you know, gender, location, that kind of thing can be very useful and, and more powerful than people think. And I'll give you an example. Um, one company... You know, we wanted to drive our lead capture rates. So, you know, there was a great job on social and paid me to drive people to the site. And then when they go to leave, you know, pop up appears and give us your email address. So to keep it frictionless, we just the email address. But I argued, well, you know, if we're incentivizing them to give us something anyway, the value exchange here, let's capture a few more pieces of information as well. So you can do much more with just three extra pieces of data about what are you looking for? You know, what are your health goals? What's your age and your gender? Then if they don't convert on that particular visit, at least you have a bit more data to put them into a lead nurture journey, which can be much more relevant downstream. So, mm-hmm. you know, with an email address, you can do very little. Of course, you can use aggregators to build in data and, and, and overlay that, but it's still not as accurate as what you capture zero party levels. So I think that's kind of the mindset that people have to get into. And you've got to get the balance right. You know, you're not going to be able to ask for mounted amounts of data become the bad customer experience at that point. Mm-hmm. You have to get the balance right between what the customer willing to give us right now in exchange for the $20 off or whatever it, it might be. And I think customers are, with the privacy changes happening, you know, and the cookie diminishment, et cetera, I think at some point we're going to have to figure out, you know, what do we offer to our customers in exchange for the extra data we want them to give us, you know. So I think it's going to be an interesting one to see how that plays out. Yeah, I love that you touched on two things there for me that really stood out, which is, you know, what is the value that we're offering because we're asking for this data in return? So like, how do we make that a compelling offer? Mm -hmm. And also the idea of you could go to a third party data aggregator, but you're probably not going to get data points that are hyper relevant to the journey of this customer with your brand, right? So you mentioned like the health, you know, what are they looking for from a health perspective or like, you know, gender is a, a more basic demographic one, but Right. Again, that's much more useful information to tailor their journey with Quest Diagnostics uh, than right. something you can get from another provider. So it's, I think that's where brands need to find the fine line. And also, I agree with you that with privacy changes, it's that right. should 
really become center stage because that data is not going to be as available from social media platforms. You know, like we are getting locked yes. out of ad networks. So it's it's imperative that brands exactly. start to really think about that. Exactly. And I think it's also it's just to get the conversation started. You know, you, you the analogy that you meet somebody. I remember standing on the, the platform waiting for my training to work. I talked to a guy and, you know, brief exchange of hello, went to, you know, learning more about his family and what sport teams he likes. And then over the years, you know, more and more. And then, you know, same kind of dialogue digitally or, or other by other channels with marketing, right? Just get something to start the conversation and a relevant conversation and then progressively profile, right? You know, over mm-hmm. every touch matters. Every touch is an opportunity to, to learn something else about your customer. Yeah, and dialogue, right? Focusing on that aspect of it, the back and forth, not just the the taking and then the the kind of saying things without taking in that data and adjusting your behavior, I think right. is very important. Right. Yeah. You know, how do you think about kind of customer retention and lifecycle marketing? And have you have you seen that change over the last few years? Are there things noticeably different from when you first started? Yeah, I think it's important firstly to break down retention and lifecycle marketing into two distinct disciplines. You know, in my mind you can't really do lifecycle marketing well, and it's less less impactful if you know your core customer journey, the transactional journey, isn't working. Customers want things to work as expected, work first time, things to be made clear and easy. Right? That's that's no matter what industry you are in. I've worked in many. That's ultimately what people want. You know, they want value for money. They want things to work, and they want things to be simple and clear. But the most important thing that I mentioned earlier is understanding the true customer journey, getting everybody together, right? And understanding the series of interactions and the different pathways that a customer may go on and weighting each of those interactions and, and events to know what the really important ones are. And again, call listening can help with that, but also people, you know, intellectual knowledge, people working at the company can help with that. And just, just some common sense as well, frankly. But, you know, it's, it's for example, the example I gave earlier with, with too many emails with wrong information or just frankly unhelpful information is, is a wa- people may say it's a waste of my time. You know, if somebody spends 10 seconds doing something right now, time is precious, right? It's a waste of 10 seconds and somebody will feel that. So uh, if you can imagine at Quest Diagnostics, for example, the most important step in their journey, the most important interaction with our brand is when they go into that patient service center to have their blood drawn. That's what everything leads up to. And if that's a bad experience, if somebody's waiting far too long, or if somebody didn't even say hello to them or is on a telephone while they're trying to draw blood or something, not that that happens at Quest, but just if you can imagine that they would never be coming back to Quest. So no matter how frictionless the e-commerce site is, no matter how great our lifecycle programs would be or the, or the rewards, people are not going to go back to Quest if that was the case. Same with the any industry. It's about identifying what those you know most important moments in the journey are. Yeah, I agree. It's also always kind of incredible, like you said, that we have this vision sometimes of a very linear funnel, right? That's how we like to right. think of it as marketers. Obviously, we know that that's not, that's the ideal journey. It's not right. always the case, but really digging into like, what is the customer doing at each moment is the really fundamental marketing work that can be easy to forget when you're you're lost in acquisition campaigns or what the specific email should look like, like really at the heart of it, you should come back to it. Like, what does my customer need in this moment yes. and how can I serve them? And I think that's where great marketing comes from. I mean, you have probably seen a lot of challenges, right? They might've changed over the years as well, but can you walk through like in trying to build like a great retention kind of marketing program and then the follow-on lifecycle marketing programs? What are some of the biggest challenges that you've seen? Yeah, I mean, I think with lifecycle marketing, especially in healthcare, is really being quite honest with yourself as a company and, and how 
frequently should we be engaging with somebody? You know, how much does somebody want to hear from us in their life? I mean, let's be honest, you know, healthcare, people may say you're not the most exciting subject in the world, right? But compare that to something like a, a Groupon or something like that, where people sign up to receive five offers a week on spa treatments or whatever that may be. That's a very different relationship to perhaps healthcare. Healthcare is just, okay, I want you to help me manage my health and do it well and don't make mistakes. That's what they want. So, but there is still an opportunity to, again, you know, learn about them and give them relevant, engaging content about the latest, you know, clinical studies, the latest scientific findings, or just frankly, for somebody in your particular age, demographic and cohort, what should you be thinking about in your, your health journey, right? So that's what we try to do at Quest. You know, so men who enter their forties, you know, the same thing they should be doing more. Women who enter their fifties, the same thing they should be doing more. So educating them, making sure we are front of mind. So when those need states do come along, right, we are there to help them. It's it's a bit harder to change behavior, right? With help I mean, the behavior we were trying to change is this direct to consumer testing rather than go to a doctor who then refers you. But it's more like, well, if you think, you know, there's maybe something that you curious about or that you want to check, then you can get the test directly. And then based on the results, decide whether you want to go to the doctor. So, but again, you're not going to drive somebody to get blood work done every week. You know, it's just not, it's just not something that people want to do, you know? So it's about thinking about that journey and, and then, you know, in retention, like, well, what is the right measure for retention in healthcare? You know, it's not every week. It's not either every year, is it every 18 months? So we have to really define what retention meant in healthcare, how often we expected to see them. Yeah. I love those examples too, because it comes down to, like you said before, right? You don't just take the carbon copy of a playbook from some other industry, some other company you've worked at, but you really look at what are the needs of the business? What is unique to our relationship with customers in this right. in this business? And let's define what successful retention means with those guardrails and, and not just because some other company defines it in this way. Yeah. Yeah. And do you find that to be a challenge sometimes when you're working with executives, when you're trying to frame like an understanding of what those programs look like, how you measure them? I think it just takes time to educate them a little bit, you know, and, and, and manage up, right? Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's what can get, especially in times of like economic uncertainty, like we're in now, um, there's a lot more, I feel like pressure, especially on the marketing, on the acquisition team, right? To, to really like, choke the udders of that cow and, and milk the database for as much as they can and get it, you know, and then customer experience may go out of the door. Maybe we're being a bit too aggressive with, hey, everybody, just buy everything, you know, really kind of me kind of just saying, hold on, I've got to, my job really is, is the guardian of this database, right? I've got to protect this database for the long term, not just the short term. So that's definitely one of the, the challenges that, that I think CRM folk, whoever I speak to, they face that as well. Yeah, how to protect the database from the CEO that just wants to send another email. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that is a struggle for a lot of CRM marketers, like you're saying. Yeah. Another thing that, you know, a lot of people I've spoken to on the podcast recently with the focus on retention and loyalty is like the channels that they're using to interact with those customers, right? How do they find the right mix? How do they get their timing right? Like, are there particular channels that you're seeing work very well? Are there other ones that you're seeing decline in performance? Well, email is actually doing really well with Quest. I think sometimes it was, it was uh, you know, definitely driving a lot of site traffic, which is what we wanted to do. We had a very sizable database from people over, over the years, you know, visiting Quest Diagnostics, you know, subscribing to email, and it wasn't really used much. So, you know, again, they didn't really 
have CRM expertise. So with the database, it was the first step, of course, is to clean that database up because the true size of that database had to tell people, even though you think it's X million, it's probably more like a few kind of, you know, levels below that when you cleaned it up. But it was quite untouched. So we we built some engaging and did CRM properly, right? We built some engaging programs to get them in. But email is very low on subscriber rates. And I think it's down to the fact that we were being targeted, right? And, and relevant. Mm-hmm. And good click-through rates are sometimes up to you know 10, 11 percent click to delivery rate, which is really, really great. So I think people may have been like, oh, this is interesting and an email from Quest and some insightful information on their engaging well. You know, they also have an app which is predominantly about where people go to get their results. So sometimes people go to get results, it's not the most pleasant experience, right? They might be a bit nervous. And so you don't want to be really too disrespectful there and plaster, you know, advertisements all over the place. But SMS was also a, a strong channel, just again, for keeping people informed about their journey. I remember that at Samsung, though, we had a, so many channels, you know, push notification was very strong, especially for lower funnel and intent and to those, you know, kind of one day sale push notifications worked, worked very well. I feel that perhaps push it done to decline a bit now across industry with lots of people Lots of companies using apps and notifications, but also at Samsung, there's lots of uh, apps that they have. So they have an app for Samsung TV, for Samsung Rewards, the native app built into the Android operating system. So not everybody has all of those apps, but the great thing is they had different kind of users and profiles using different apps. So Mm -hmm. it gave them a lot of possible touch points to use. Yeah, I think that you've touched on quite a few uh, channels that are obviously kind of like the foundation for a lot of CRM programs. And interesting to hear that email was almost kind of an untapped channel uh, when you you started at Quest, because I think that's where most people would start, right? Is like we have that contact point, like we have this intent. And I'm, I'm glad you pointed out scrubbing the database as yep. an important key step to make sure also things like deliverability, you know, subscribe rates look mm-hmm. good uh, as you start. And you touched on app notifications. I would agree with you as well. That's something that we've seen kind of go down as people have been getting more and more apps, right? It's harder to reach them as people. There's been a lot of premium placed on focus, kind of like reducing app notifications that we're seeing a struggle there. I mean, in all that, right? I think that you mentioned all the channels that Samsung has, like brands are trying to personalize marketing one-to-one, right? Doing that at scale is difficult. You have all these channels. You have all these different places you could do it. What for you, like, how do you connect with people today? How do you connect one-to-one? And do you have a particular approach that really defines that? Well, depending on the industry, you know, I think in insurance, when I was at MetLife and, and Mass Mutual, by far our most valuable touch point was, believe it or not, was still the outbound call. When somebody has actually just worked with the call center, you know, I've spent all years and years in digital and trying to kind of create personalized, you know, email follow-ups etc but you know what people really wanted is just a call frankly you know to just explain their policy to them and what happens next and give them a chance to ask questions so of course it's a lot more costly to outreach to everybody so making sure you really understand what channels your consumers are engaged in and what what they're using the most at any given point in time so you know you can you can certainly use email if people are heavily engaged with email and all of the Email platforms now will tell you who's your most engaged base at this moment in time by what channel and whether it is app. But I think there's many tools out there now, which is send time optimization, for example, making sure you send the email at the moment where they're most likely to be engaging with their inbox. 
personalization starts with, you know, of course, having your segments, right? And then knowing what is relevant content and not just, well, our database is 30 million. So let's just send it to 30 million and change the first name. We're personalized. You know, it's not that it's, it's like, well, who, you know, I always say retention strategy is also as much about knowing which customers you don't want as the ones you do want. You know, some customers do cost a lot to service and, you know, the data indicator will point to the fact that they're likely not going to be here for the long term. So, you know, what's the point to just continue to invest money in them? So really using that data to know who your best customers are, who's likely to be there for the long haul, using tools such as send time optimization, relevant messaging, and the right channel to really, you know, prolong that life cycle. Yeah, so true. I love the the breakdown of specific examples, but also that knowing who not to contact and really knowing who your best customers are. Right. When you look at that sort of thing, is there kind of a North Star KPI? Are you looking at lifetime value? Kind of what are the metrics that you're thinking about when you build out these types of programs? Yeah, depending on the program. So obviously had a lot of success actually with reactivation programs and just trying to identify well which one should we invest our, our time in but also retargeting. So using both email and social. So the truest sign of intent is when somebody at your site clicking on products, right? And putting them into their basket, perhaps, but they abandon. Well, most likely, but certainly one channel they're, they're, they're going to after that is social to kind of research a bit more and ask people. So we introduced, you know, we had the email. This is a, a number of companies I've worked at, but we started with an email, more cost-effective channel. And then also added on to that social retargeting as well. So if that's where they are, you know, let's try and stay front of mind and re-trigger that shopping behavior in, the, in their mindset and get them back to the site. So those data points that you're learning from your website are just invaluable. As I mentioned earlier, the progressive profiling that you've built up over time, using that to really personalize all of those, those downstream programs, whether it's onboarding, whether it's just kind of seasonal promotions, or whether it was all the way down to win back or reactivation. Yeah, a great way to not just tailor your messaging to like that specific moment in their customer journey, but also that specific customer and who they are. Right? Yeah, that's a, a great way to combine them. I mean, looking forward and maybe in the present a little bit as well, like what kind of technologies or what kind of approaches are you particularly excited about that are kind of in the market? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to try, you know, to not mention AI. I mean, I have to mention yeah, the, the elephant in the room. <laughs> I mean, but it's just, I mean, everybody from, you know, the family cat to your grandmother is talking about AI right now. It's interesting for sure. And who, who knows? But like, I really think CDPs are incredibly important for lifecycle marketing and retention. And they're not new, new, right? But they're, I think I can't even get past the first sentence without mentioning AI. But yeah, I think AI will make them better and more powerful, right, as well going forward. And, and I think CDPs will become more mainstream. I remember 10, 11 years ago, I was working with a company and I was like, well, I want this data point and I want to know when did somebody last call and complain and what was their sentiment and website behavior. And now I realized I was trying to build a CDP without realizing it back then. But uh, more companies adopt this omnichannel approach and really that can't be done without the CDP, you know, to really harness that zero on first party data and then stitch in, you know, anonymous data until you can determine who it belongs to. So, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see how things play out, you know, with cookie diminishment and what the big technology companies out there are going to do to replace that and see how that all, you know, integrate with CDPs. 
you know, of course, AI, you know, I think it's going to make things interesting. It's going to perhaps offer new channels we didn't even know exist at this point today. Yeah, I think that's a great call out to focus on the CDP, because even though it is not so brand new, like you said, a lot of the things you're talking about in terms of unifying the journey, understanding where to, how to engage them, all of that kind of relies on a healthy, like an organized database that unifies yep. your customer journey in some ways. And there are going to be a lot of interesting things that happen with uh, AI in that space as well, uh, beyond just like the actual channels on which people engage. And like right. you mentioned also, you know, cookies uh, deprecating, that's I think will be a, a really big one as a lot of these ad platforms move towards probabilistic modeling, you know, right. removing the identifier out of that so that they can get around privacy. Zero party data is going to be really essential to the companies that do really want to know who is this person and how do I meet them on their journey specifically in that moment. So it's yes. it's going to be an interesting time. Yeah. I mean, I've always been a champion of zero first party data where, you know, cookies going away. I kind of like had a little smug smile on my face thinking I've been telling everybody for such a long time how we need to get our zero and And now I'm, I'm pleased to see that companies are, you know, building up their, their own walled gardens and, and, and thinking about how can we get you know, our consumers to voluntarily give us that information and make it clear what the value exchange is. Yeah, that's great. You've seen the writing on the wall uh, for a while and also seen the value of it, which is great. You know, in that frame of mind, like what are kind of three pieces of advice you would give other consumer marketers or things you wish you knew at the start of your career that you know now? Yeah. I mean, things are moving so quickly. I think consumer marketers need to just, you know, you are in for kind of like lifelong learning in, in your career and and embrace that, right, and adopt it. And I think it's for the better. I mean, you know, I've maybe naively when I first started, I, I guess I thought, well, you learn the first five years learning your job and then the next 45 years doing your job. You know, that's really not the way it is. It's your, your learning, 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 and then learning some more. And then teaching people as well, passing on what you've learned is just, um, I think you sometimes realize when you're explaining something to somebody what you don't know, right? And you're, it's a, it's a two-way learning process. So I think as well, realizing that there's so many platforms and technology and different technical skill sets out there, you know, you're never going to know it all. You have to surround yourself when you become a, a leader, surround yourself with diverse knowledge and experience and accept you won't know it all. You know, don't you, you can feel quite ignorant at times in this industry. You know, I don't know that, so I don't understand this, but surround yourself with the right people. And as a team, you'll, you'll work things out. And then I think also it's very important to be clear with, with your manager what, what you want, right? I think don't just sit around and let somebody else try and manage your career. You know, what really interests you, what you want to, are the channels you wanted to get experience with that you haven't done before, are the certain industries you want to move into. But, you know, certainly with your driver, you know, put yourself with your manager, put yourself in the driving seat, right? And a good manager will will support you with that and, and put you in the right places and, and coach you in the right way. Yeah, I love that advice. I think it's very, very good advice. Never, never stop learning. Uh, build a team around you to stay up to date with the things that you couldn't hope to stay up to date with yep. and really manage up to, to get what you want out of your career are things that I think a lot of young marketers should take uh, very much to heart because that is fantastic advice, Jordan. I think on an ending note, no one likes to make uh, the big predictions, but five years from now, what do you feel like the future of consumer marketing looks like? Yeah, the elephant in the room again. I think AI again will make things interesting. I, I like I still feel that humans will need to drive strategy and come up with the big ideas, right? I do think that AI will make us better at our jobs and being better at our job means being more efficient as well. Right. So 
I think some of the things in particular, like coding, some of the creative, you know, message crafting, I think AI will start to certainly make us better and, and leaner at doing those things. And, you know, I've seen a few demos and been conferences where literally you are telling chat, you know, generative AI, just create this email for this, this particular use case. And within 10 seconds, it's created the email. And then you can go in and tell it to refine the CSS or the HTML coding a bit. And he's done it, you know, that may take two, three days, you know, in today's world, which potentially could be done in a matter of seconds. So should be good that we can maybe take on more and, and be have a broader skill set ourselves, right? And do more things. I also think that in the, the purchase journey, I do think that AI will help people. Typically chat today has been done post-purchase and, and support and servicing. I think people will lean on chat more powered by AI to help them make the purchase decision in the first place. Maybe they're not sure they want more information. They can have that two-way dialogue with the robot who will guide them um, and give them that personal confidence, right? And I think people will start to trust it more, even though now it is very scary. You know, change over time, I think people will trust it. And um, I think the other really interesting thing that I've I've been reading a lot about lately is, is the metaverse, right? And especially some of those companies where they may allow their consumers to immerse themselves into this virtual world and how people are behaving in that virtual world. There again, they're all data points. That's zero and first party data points about how people are thinking, what they want, how they're behaving. I heard somebody talk about it, this convergence of physical and digital, call it the, the physical state, you know, so in the future, which is just um it's a lot to take in, but I do think there's an again a big touch point and immersive experience where those behavior and actions are going to be creating a lot of data about people. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think the like generative AI will transform how we do our jobs, but it's not going to replace the fundamentals of what marketing needs, right? Like right. how do we guide the strategy? Right. I love that you talked about, you know, moving chat into marketing use cases, because that's obviously exactly what we do at Spectrum. So those are that's music to my ears to also hear that you see the space changing in that direction. And that's also what we've seen a lot with customers is like, how do we build guided experiences through chat, through messaging, that is increasingly how people want to communicate. And also, you know, the last thinking about the metaverse and just the amount of data that it generates. I had someone on the podcast earlier uh, this season talk about the sheer volume of data that's generated from like five seconds in the metaverse. We think we're swimming in data right now in the digital world. It's like when we start entering that world, it's going to be a very, very different challenge. So I think it's, it's exciting, exciting times ahead for marketers. Jordan, that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed hearing, you know, from your experience. I think that was great. If people want to learn more about you and what you do, uh, where should they go? Yeah, the best place is LinkedIn. Just definitely hit me up with a message. I'd love to connect with folks out there and uh, yeah, keep learning together. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you heard it's Jordan Womack uh, from Quest Diagnostics. Go uh, on LinkedIn. You can DM him feedback from the episode. Uh, any questions if you want to connect? And same to me, uh, always looking for feedback. If you have guest ideas, don't hesitate to reach out. And if you want to learn more about Spectrum and what we're doing in the messaging space, go to spectrum.io or check Spectrum out on LinkedIn. Jordan, thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Ben. It's been great. Thanks a lot.